Revelation 14 is where we are. Revelation 14. Um, we're a little over halfway through the book of Revelation. There's still a whole lot to cover. We're midway through the tribulation. That's uh, three and a half years. And the world of Revelation 14 is different than our world today. Um, we have to kind of think of that. So we're, we're, we're at the midpoint of the tribulation. The last half is called the Great Tribulation, um, which is going to be horrible. That's the things that we're going to learn from here future. And then the Revelation doesn't just end with that. It ends with the millennial reign and then ultimately eternity with Christ. But so far up until this point, so we've had the rapture happen. Uh, you have uh, the Antichrist comes on the world scene. There's been global earthquakes. Um, you have earthquakes and... Um, my earthquake app has been going off um, consistently. I have it set for 6.0 or higher uh, the last few days consistently. And it's, there's been that kind of thing. Uh, matter of fact, they've been kind of anticipating it because it, they relate with solar flares. There's been some big solar flares, and they come, and it, and it hits, and it, and it triggers earthquakes often. And so we, we've been kind of expecting them, and we've had them. But during this time, there's like global ones, global shakings. And it's a, kind of a, hard to imagine the whole world shaking in that way, but it will. There have been... Wars and diseases um, uh, that's going around. Famine, a shortage of food, celestial events, meteors, asteroids, you know, something you know, that have been pummeling the earth to the point it says like shaking a fig tree and having them hit the ground. And said the only thing I can picture of that is that I never had a fig tree, but we had a persimmon tree, and we'd go and shake it when it was ripe. You know, the kids, we'd put them all around it, and, and we'd... Do that, and then you kind of duck it because here, here come the boom, 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 all the figs. And I, that's a good picture of what this is. It's like a fig tree, you know, of them all hitting the ground. And then we'd gather up that, and we'd have um, you know, persimmon pudding. Yeah, so it was good. But that was uh, this was not so good. This is rocks hitting the earth so much, so much so that the rich <clears throat> go underground and they're hiding in their bunkers that they've been building. And you know, that's a trend uh, these days with the rich and building their underground bunkers that are around. Uh, and then they try to face, find a place to hide from these things that are hitting the earth. There's hail that comes on the earth that catches fire. That's bizarre. Uh, there's uh, one-third of the trees get burned up during the first three and a half uh, years. I just can't imagine that. Um, it's the love of trees. and It always astounds me when I watch the weather. And they always pull back and they show Indiana. I'm like, I don't see any roads. I don't see any malls. I don't see any parking lots. I see green trees. I see all that, how it just kind of merges and blows away. Can you imagine with a third of that gone? All green grass burn up. What a dark, depressing world that would be with just that blackened, scorched earth. One third of the ocean life dies. That's horrible. No one will be making their way to the beach during that time because it stinketh, I'm sure. You know, when you have that much that dies, the ocean's huge. And to have one-third of all the life out of a dive. Wormwood, uh, something that hits the earth <clears throat> that has a specific name, hits it and poisons one-third of the fresh waters to where just getting good water to drink is a hard thing. But we take it so much for granted in the United States. Hit the faucet. Hit the faucet. Uh, Morgantown, we lived in Morgantown. It seemed like um, every time it got below 30, the Something, a pipe broke somewhere, and so we go in there and like, oh, the water shut off, and the water's not there, and it's annoying when your water's not working. You're used to having water instantly, and it's gone, it's there. I can't imagine being in these countries where they have struggles with water, and it's, it's such a, a hardship. Man, I'm used to water. I can't imagine then a world that's taken to where one-third of the water is poisoned to the point if you drink it, you'll die. Uh, 
It's a scary world. It's a different world than we live in. There's a demon locust herd that's released from the bottomless pit that comes forth and they begin to sting and to torture those who have the mark of the beast. I've never witnessed that. I've never been to anything like that, but that's what it says will happen during this time. There'll be a huge army after that that comes and kills one-third of mankind. A demonic army? I don't know. There's some kind of horse that they ride. They, they give the color of these guys, and the horse has a tail with some way that it's stinging and biting people. It, it's, it sounds terrifying you know, to be, ter- be going about and uh, imagine that something sees you and going to chase you down and then try to hurt you or kill you. Uh, so this huge army kills a third of mankind. But there's 144,000 prophets or witnesses that go around proclaiming God's truth during a hard time. During a hard time, people begin to listen more. People's ears are opened up. When things that they were used to and that they trusted in are gone. When all of our systems that we are so used to, highway system, grocery system, food chains, all those things, when all that collapses and comes down and you become more dependent on one another and social skills and all that, you become shaken up and where are we going to get our next meal? How's this going to be this way? All of a sudden you're praying more, you're seeking more, and God sends 144,000 witnesses to proclaim God's gospel power and God's, God's uh, truth. There are two powerful witnesses, maybe even Moses and Elijah themselves, who come on the scene and profane, proclaim uh, great signs and wonders, showing who they are, showing that they are invincible uh, to the attacks of the beast and things that come upon them. Uh, they battle the beast. They proclaim God's word with supernatural power and with God's protection over them until the halfway point. For three and a half years, they're able to do that and withstand every attack that comes against them. But at the halfway point, the beast is able to kill them. Their dead bodies lay in the streets for three and a half days. The world rejoices. The only time anything happy is mentioned in the book of Revelation is this one verse in Revelation that says that uh, the men make merry because these guys are dead. They send gifts one to another. They celebrate. But after three and a half days, in full view of the whole world, they get on their feet. and They begin to ascend up in the clouds and go up to heaven and God cries out his message that these are his servants and the world is astonished. Last week we saw about the abomination of desolation. You know, we mentioned it in that midpoint there when the beast sets himself up as God in the holy place in the temple of God, showing himself or declaring that he is God. An angel flies around the earth and proclaims, no, here's what the gospel is. Repent and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we have this global event of an angel that people can see, that men and women can see, that televisions can, you know, can shoot their cameras at and show it and go around. And as this angel goes around and, and tells humanity, you know, to repent and trust in Jesus Christ. He has interaction with just the general world. If I've seen an angel, I've not known it. I've not been aware. That's what the New Testament tells me. Some of you entertain angels unaware. That's generally the typical way in which angels interact with the church. Uh, angels generally interact more with the Jewish nation in uh, proclaiming messages and bringing things. And so we're back under that uh, uh, economy where an angel comes forward and proclaims messages to the world. Because we're... In a time where uh, there's no wondering, is there a supernatural? As being proclaimed by witnesses, as being proclaimed by the Antichrist, it is there. We know that there is something outside our earth. And so the world that's been on the fence saying, I don't know, I don't know, you know, it's been ripped apart from them. They know it is there. And now God sends forth an angel to proclaim his message to the uttermost parts of the earth. So everyone hears the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the angel parade is not done. God sends forth another angel to proclaim around the world. That's where we are in Revelation 14, verse 8. Revelation 14 and verse 8 says, And there followed another angel 
saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, the great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Babylon is fallen. Another worldwide message. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Because she made all the nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. What is Babylon? There's so much wrapped up in this name, Babylon. I think the Bible's pointing to its history here. We, we know that uh, the book of Revelation has been signified or put into signs. That's right at the beginning of chapter 1. He tells us that. It is a book here that uses all kinds of signs and symbols and words to drive us to the rest of the Bible. And Babylon's throughout the rest of the Bible. Daniel, as a boy, was sent to Babylon. Uh, we have Nebuchadnezzar is the head of Babylon. We have uh, Babylon doing many different things, you know, showing up here and there. You know, so they're a, a part. They're, they're, it is something that goes on. God used Babylon to judge Israel and their rebellion and what it was, you know, to take them away for those 70 years and to bring them back. And so the pattern of Babylon is clearly what the Bible is pointing to, if not the actual city itself. It used to be Bible scholars would all say, no, this has to be something that is spiritual. Uh, most of your Bible commentaries will say Rome. Uh, I would not argue with that. Rome that is a, has a corrupted um, spiritual things and caused men to worship idols and, and set up vain things, vain repetitions. Matter of fact, a lot of clear things that the Bible says do not do. Call no man father. This guy's name is father. Do not say the same prayer over and over. Say the Hail Marys. Here's a rosary. Here's some beads. Here's to do that. Don't wear different clothes than everybody else. Here's our special vestal gar- garments that we are wearing. But anything the Bible says do not do, it's what they, they set up and, and do. And, you know, do not have vain repetitions. Say the same prayer exactly so many times. And so I do not confess before, you know, uh, you know, so I do many, many things you know, that are there. But, and so a lot, of, a lot of your commentaries will say, oh, Babylon is Rome. Uh, I think Rome was part of it. But then, because they used to say, the city's gone and it'll never come back. And then we had a character come on the scene who thought he was Nebuchadnezzar, who rebuilt a good part of Babylon, Saddam Hussein. He rebuilt a lot of the old temples, a lot of things and put them back up and put them and made the old city come back alive. And it is there. We've had troops there. We've had soldiers that go around there. So it is back on the scene. But is it a global headquarters? Not yet. But that doesn't mean it won't be. It doesn't mean it couldn't be. But we're going to focus on the pattern because we know that uh, Revelation points to that. It'll point us to things in the past so that we understand the pattern. And that's, we want to think Jewishly. He's written this to Jewish, it's written in the Jewish culture. The Jewish culture is the key of understanding the Bible and unlocking many of the truths for us. And so we want to look at the pattern of what does Babylon represent, because that's what I think he's conveying to us here uh, this morning in this passage. God is drawing all things back to Bible days. Uh, when Christ left the earth, um, things changed. You know, Jerusalem was destroyed. They were dispersed upon the earth. But as things come back, or as the time gets near for Christ's return, not only is the clock counting that down, but actually the things on the globe are beginning to reassemble as it was in the day of Jesus uh, when he left. That's why we talk about the revived Roman Empire, because Rome was in charge. Uh, Israel being back as a nation. Israel's back as a nation. Uh, So does Babylon come back? Maybe so. So we're seeing all things kind of being set back into place. Um, so let's look at the overall pattern, though, this morning. Babylon. What, do we, what does Babylon mean? Its name is pretty telling in itself. Confusion. Confusion. It comes from the original Babel, you know, from back from the Tower of Babel. And so I think that's where the Bible's taking us back to, because actually, as you look at the book of Revelation, as you look at even time and what we're going through right here, right now, we are in the Bible 
being played in reverse, marching back to Genesis, where we'll be united with God in the garden, having access to the tree of, of, of life. You can see that in the book of Revelation. We see it even now. Even in the church, in the age in which we are, we're in the book of Acts, in reverse. First the gospel went out, went to the Gentiles. Uh, you know, uh, well, if you think of how it first happened, it started with the Jews, and then it went to the Gentiles and it spread to where we are today. So now it would go from the Gentiles back to the Jews you know, and to that point in time. Uh, the early church understood Jewishness. They understood Jewish words because the first, you know, the day of Pentecost, most of them were Jews. Today, more than any other time in history, people in the church know Jesus' Jewish name, Yeshua. Uh, we understand Jewish customs. We understand Jewish culture. We understand Jewishness more now than we would have 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And that's not by accident or design. It's because I want to teach it because that is the trend because we are getting back more like the days of Acts as it draws near into the time when as a church miraculously began by a fire coming down that we were miraculously called out. Some suspect on the same day. God likes anniversaries. <laughs> as he begins things, uh, Enoch, uh, was, yeah, Enoch was thought to have been uh, translated on his birthday, you know, before the flood. And so some are like, maybe we're like the church. Maybe we're like Enoch. Maybe we'll be called out on the same day. What day was it? Pentecost. I don't, you know, so, so we don't know the day or the hour. Uh, but we see these things marching and being played back as we become more focused on, on uh, uh, Judaism and, and what uh, they understood and what Jewish culture was like and understanding our roots in that way, understanding their festivals, understanding the patterns, understanding what was going on as we see Israel uh, coming back on the world stage and the, the, the even Messianic Judaism uh, where they understand who Christ is that begins to grow. Now the language returns, a dead language, when's that ever happened? Never happened before. A dead language is back alive again, a priesthood beginning to begin... Uh, they've dedicated an altar. Uh, there's a cry now in all the political settings. The last time, uh, at least the last speech that I was reading from Netanyahu, he was interrupted by rabbi, rabbis, rabbis, rabbis that were crying out, rebuild the temple, rebuild the temple. And that becomes the cry here today to the point where the Palestinians have started a rumor that underneath the temple they are rebuilding the temple. And there are some interesting things under the temple that I didn't know about, but there's, there's some interesting things going on as we see these things being played out. But Babel was a place where mankind rebelled. They didn't do what God told them to do. They didn't disperse and go and, and go all over the earth. They stayed in one place. They were supposed to go everywhere and populate. They stayed in one area. Uh, they had one ruler over them. His name was Nimrod. His name is uh, telling too. His name means rebel or rebellion. And so here the city of confusion is run by the man named Rebel or rebellion. Uh, they had one purpose, to build a tower. Make a name for themselves, not just make a name for themselves, with one goal. They wanted to overthrow God. They wanted to try to get to heaven and then take over, you know, knock over the seat. They would be in charge. So God comes down, confuses their language, and then disperses them. He divided the world into nations, and then he chooses Abraham as a nation unto himself. And over those other nations, he put angels in charge over them, because God has workers that are there, and he put angels in charge over them. They were to watch over these nations. That was their responsibility. The angels became perverted with power and demanded worship. Then entered the little G-gods. That's why when they have the Ten Commandments that is ushered, you know, during the time of Moses, that the second commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. Why didn't they have that before? That wasn't a problem before. After Babel, it became a problem. It became an issue. Uh, these fallen angels that liked worship, they liked power, and they wanted men to offer things unto themselves. And so now we have the little G-gods that are out there. They're on the global stage. So now that's why our Lord says, I am Lord of lords, King of kings, God of gods. He is over all of them, these little G-gods, uh, these fallen angels who took too much to themselves because of their sin of pride. Because uh, we need to remember the Jewish mindset 
It's a little bit different than ours. If we said, what is man's problem? We would say, Adam fell in the garden. And that's where we would stop. That is man's problem. Man's, you know, they, they sinned and plunged us into sin, and death is now reigning over us. Uh, but the Jews had three things. They would also say man fell in the garden you know, by Satan lying to Eve and then trapping them, and then Adam freely eats. They also said the mischief with angels, uh, the Nephilim and all that, Genesis 6 problem that was going on where God had to flood the world because of the confusion of the things that were going on with mixing of kinds and crossover and chimera type stuff. Same thing we have going on today in a lot of things. And the third thing was the Tower of Babel where we had mischief that was going on there, the rebellion of mankind altogether, and plus these angels who demanded to be worshipped. They, they, they say there's not just man being bad, it's also angelic influences on man trying to tempt them to be bad and to do wicked things. And so <clears throat> God takes care of all of these. That's why at Pentecost, when, when the church uh, is born and the Holy Spirit comes out, they're able to hear one another in one language. It's Jesus Christ showing that I have power over the nations and the confusion that came upon you at Babel, I have defeated by resurrecting from the cross, you know, from the grave three days later after dying on the cross. And now I can even make all men hear in one language again. We miss that if we don't understand the Jewish mindset. We're just like, that's just kind of a neat miracle. Notice him proclaiming, I have victory over all these things. But Babylon represents man's rebellion, a one-world government with a one-world leader, a dictator, a mean dictator. He is known as a mighty hunter. They think of him as a mighty hunter of men, that he killed men. Uh, a one-world religion with many gods that you can worship. Oh, you, know, you can worship me. All these gods come to me as long as you, long as you come and, and you worship me as well. They can take, take any more. Uh, see, Judaism and Christianity are the only ones that are exclusive, mutually exclusive. No, there's one Lord. Um, Rome, they didn't mind if you had your God as long as you took all their gods too. You know, they would just add to it, just add another one. Yeah, we'll make a, we'll make a temple unto that. You know, that's why on Mars Hill, uh, Paul could say, I want to preach to you the one God you don't have represented here. You know, the creator of the universe. You know, him, the unknown God. And so, yeah. So Babel represents all these things. Uh, one world religion with many gods. He represents mankind's, or Babel represents mankind's rebellion against God. They cry, God has not said. That's the same things that Satan would say. Uh, let's violate God's law. That's, that's the act, ultimate act. Let's violate what God has said. Let's uh, cast God asunder and all his rules far from us. Uh, let's be free. That's Psalm 2. That's what they say, right? They, they're like, let's rebel against him. Let's cut his cords asunder. Let's be free from God and all his restraint. Let's be free. Let's be free. And the ultimate freedom is rebellion. Rebelling against the laws and the rules that God has established and written on man's heart. Let's do against that. Go against your nature. Go against what God has written on your heart. Rebel against God. Rebel against what he is doing. Rebel what God said is a good. No one is good will call evil. And evil we will call good. We'll totally flip-flop it all. That is the satanic things in which we live. Lying is the Babylonian language, you know, deceit and deception. Promiscuity, promiscuity is the official act of Babylon. Who be, who, you know, God says be faithful, and only one man, one woman together forever. We with everybody, all kinds of ways, all different ways. That's what they will do in Babylon, and, and, and that's what they represent. Drugs, violence, hatred, pleasure, selfishness, indulgence is the nation, uh, Babylon's national pastime. Do whatever, whatever feels good, do it. Whatever's matter to you. You are your own God. Live up to you. Do your own standard. Do what you want when you want to do it. That's what they will build upon. And that's what our nation's ripe for. That's what our nation is doing. It's what the world's doing. Let us do what's right in our own eyes as their cry. Leave us alone, God. Leave us alone. We want to be free of you. We want to cut asunder. We want to elect our own God. Confusion is their creed. What God has said, let men tear apart. 
is what they do. Babylon, confusion. God is not the author of confusion. God has things in a specific way. He is orderly. He is decent. He says what is right and what is wrong. Babylon represents everything against that. It's a world system of confusion, of lies, of sin, and rebellion. Those are what are celebrated. Those are what are lifted up. Babylon is a political, an economic, and a religious system of the beast, all consolidated into one thing. So that's why we talk about one world government and we hear news of a one world government and we hear about tearing down borders. We hear about us all being one, working together, surrendering your sovereignty uh, to the UN or whoever they're going to put in charge of that. That's why it flies in our face. It flies in the face of the Bible. That's not right. That's not what we were supposed to do. It was man's rebellion the first time. It's man's rebellion the second time. You know, God has told us how to do things and then yet man runs back to the same exact thing. But the good news is, as this angel warns those on the earth during this time, It fails because it falls. Babylon has fallen. It has fallen, says the angel. Uh, Verse 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. If you participate in what Babylon is selling, you have participated in that fornication. And God sees idolatry as fornication. He sees unfaithfulness to him as fornication, as um, unfaithfulness in that way. Uh, if we can remember back to Revelation 13, it's been a few weeks now, it seems like the beast is winning. That's how it ends. It's a dark chapter that talks about the beast, it talks about the false prophet, it talks about his mark, it talks about his image that comes alive and causes men to worship. It talks about him making war with the saints and winning. That's how we know it's not the church, because the gates of hell does not prevail against the church. The church is gone. The false prophet does miraculous wonders, calls fire down from heaven, showing all the supernatural power that he has, that people are like, well, I always said, seeing is believing. I believe. I throw in with this guy. And so it's a dangerous thing. The image comes alive. He takes something that is inanimate and makes it come alive and self-aware and and, uh, talks to itself. We mentioned some of the things that might be. The mark is instituted in Revelation 13, where it's a a sign of your loyalty, a sign of worship to the beast and to his system. The worship of the beast is enforced during Revelation 13. It's a dark, dark time, far away from God, doing opposite of everything that God wants, going everything man-centered, centered towards this one man in particular. But Revelation 14 is here to proclaim to us that he might make war with the saints, but the 144,000 witnesses live. He can't kill them. He can't destroy them all. He doesn't get them all. Satan is impotent. He's not able to do everything that he claims that he would do. His government might seem all-powerful. Everyone must join. Everyone must be a part of it. But this angel proclaims, his government falls. It's fallen. It's fallen. Babylon has collapsed. It is there. Don't be afraid of Babylon, almighty Babylon. That day is over. That's what this is about. Revelation 14 is a victory. Revelation 14 is a little breath breath of fresh air in the midpoint of the tribulation to remind those who haven't committed to the beast to hang on. Don't fall for it. Don't fall to the pressure. Resist uh, to to stand for the Lord. Revelation 14 is an encouragement to the saints during the tribulation. We're reading somebody else's mail in advance. Uh, We can read and study it and we can see God's pattern in it, but this is written specifically for the tribulation saints during this time after they watch the abomination of desolation when they see him roll out the mark of the beast and the government system that comes there and they come to their city and are like, today's the day we're enforcing it. Do you take the mark or not? They can read this and it's like, it fails. It falls. It doesn't win. Our God wins. No, I rebel against you and your system. It's to encourage that kind of strength. This is God's plea to those who haven't joined the beast that haven't joined his system. He is pleading with them, don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. 
Don't do it. Hang on. Don't do it. Resist. Just a little while longer. Just a little bit more. You don't need it now. Not instant gratification. Hold on. It fails. But see, our world and the beast system has already laid its roots down. It's been putting itself into our world for years so that we get used to it. Why wait? Why have delayed gratification? Our society is worse than any. You know? Why wait till marriage? Do it now with whoever, however, whatever you want. Our system is, I ordered it, I want it now. Deliver it by drone, get it to my house. How dare you be closed? Chick-fil-A, you cursed Christian company, why dare you be closed on Sunday? I want a chicken sandwich now, you know, give it to me. And we even get upset, you know, we even have funny songs about it, like, oh, what Chick-fil-A, what a dirty, rotten chick to, trick to play. You know, now I have to go to Subway, uh, Tim Hawkins sings. You know, but you know, it's like, uh, you're there, we're used to everything being open. I remember when stores weren't open after noon on Sunday. They were all closed, it was Sunday. Man, but we're used to instant now. Have it. Got to have it. Got to have it now. Got to have it instantly. What do you mean you're sold out? Riots in the street. Give me what I want. Give it to me now. We're like the uh, little purple girl in Willy Wonka. I was thinking, I'm like, I want it now. You know, no, was, yeah, and she turns into the big great. Uh, but, but it's like, that's us. We're the brats. You know, it's kind of getting us. We, want, we demand it. And God says, no. God's way is always delayed. Delayed gratification. You wait until marriage. You wait until it's right, until it's proper. It's like a man having $20 in his wallet. He's going to come home. He's going to give it to his son. I got $20 extra. I want to give it to my son. He's been a good son. He's doing some good things. I want him to have it. So he puts it in his, has it in his wallet. His son knows he has it in his wallet. And uh, he can't wait. He wants to go out that night. So he sneaks into his dad's room and he takes that $20 out. What was going to be a wonderful gift unto him and what was going to be his anyway, it was his to spend anyway in the proper time once his dad gave it to him. He takes it out and spends it early. Now it's all wrong. He has stolen. He has robbed something of a beautiful gift that his dad was going to give to him. That's sex outside of marriage. You're taking something that's a beautiful gift that God has given you to be used in the proper context, and you've taken and you've spent it too early, and now you've wasted it and you've made it nothing. What's supposed to be something private between you and your wife or you and your husband, you've turned yourself into a public part that anyone has access to. And let's just do it around. And let's just put it on, on TV and show it all everywhere. It's like, no, we, we have a system of show me now, give it to me now, I want it now, satisfy me. And we teach it in all levels and all ways. Teach me, satisfy me, let me have it. That's the beast system, and God is crying out here at the last minute, hold on, wait. That's what Christianity is, right? This isn't our best life now. That's to buy the lie of the devil. We want our best life there and then, and so we delay, we invest, we give up ourselves, we die to ourselves, we serve others, we put others first, we teach, we get up on a Sunday morning, we come and uh, listen uh, to God's word preached, and we do these things. We go and encourage missionaries, we give our money to the church, we give our money to missionaries, we give our money to those doing gospel programs. When the world is saying, give me, give me, give it all to me, we're giving it away, sending our treasure ahead, investing in the future, and knowing that this isn't the last world, this is not even the shadow, this is just a shadow land, the real world is coming we're investing in a future that we haven't had yet but is there because we trust god we are showing our faith living our faith by investing in our future delayed gratification god says it'll be worth it paul says i have not seen ear not heard what god has in store for those who love him and serve him we're saying wait wait well wait might not have everything here and now i might not travel and see everything in the world now there's a lot of things i'd like to see a lot of places i'd like to go but i'm busy you know I, I have responsibilities here at the church. And these are good things, good ways to serve. Uh, my mind's thinking on things, you know, how, how do I preach the gospel? I have a message again Sunday. I have a message this afternoon. I have a message Wednesday. I have a message at RU. I have a message at the Lord's Locker. I have a message at a funeral. I have a message. It's like, I have things to be thinking about. Is that a waste of time or is that investment? It's investment. That's why we are to be investing as one another and to the lost, to reaching out to save those 
who don't know, who are trying to be wrapped up in this system that's trying to pull them down a path that is broad, that is easy, that leads to destruction. And yet we're preaching a contrary message from what the world says. Wait, delay, trust, believe, have faith in the God of the Bible. His way is best. It's not what's popular. It's what's best. It's what's right. He made the rules. He gets to call the shots. And this isn't the only angel on parade. There's another one. Let's look at the next angel's warning, verse 9. So Revelation 14, verse 9. And a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. Wait a minute. So the saints prevail. 144,000 of them we know live. We know more than that live. They don't surrender. Babylon, the world system, fails. Now this angel is proclaiming, don't take the mark. There's a mark that's involved in this. There's a, there's a sign of worship and devotion that is being asked, that you're being asked to take to show your devotion to the beast. I'm going to tell you some news about it. So again, this is Revelation 14 following Revelation 13, where all these things are instituted. So now God in his loving kindness, God's action in warning mankind, where he warns through his prophets, where he warns through his word. Here is a system that is going to seem compelling. It's going to seem like you're going to have to take it. If you don't take heaven, this, you know, that you're going to be left behind. You're not going to be a part of the system. God is saying, let me make a proclamation to you. This mark... Do not take it. And he's going to tell us. He's going to explain it. So this is God's love in action, proclaiming a warning warning about the mark. So verse 9 again. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark, in his, uh, the mark of his name. Uh, we learn the God's stance on the mark, what God thinks about the mark. Our God is a God of second chances. I thank God for it. I'm glad that God does not give up on me. I'm glad that it's not like a one and done, I fail, I'm out. I'm glad that while I was yet sinner, yet a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was his enemy, that he would seek me to save me, to convert me, uh, to make me a part of his family. But there's a line you can cross. Pharaoh had many chances, and then finally... It says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He crossed the line. We call that a reprobate. Where's that line? We don't know in this day and age. Can there be people uh, that have sinned away the day of grace that have been so hard-hearted that they don't want to see it and that God doesn't offer them salvation anymore? I think so. I think that's still available. I don't know where that line is. I'm still going to present the gospel to him. That's up for the Lord to know. So I might be casting my seed on, on uh, stony ground, but I'll keep casting. You know, so I, I don't know. I'm not going to draw that line. But God is telling these during this time, Here's a line you cross that I don't let you come back. If you worship the beast, you've gone too far. If you worship his image, you've crossed that line. There's no chance of salvation for you. If you take the mark on the, on, of the beast on your hand or in your forehead, there's no salvation available for you. You can't regret it the minute after you do it. You can't have buyer's remorse like, what have I done? It's too late at that point in time. God has warned you in advance. Once you've come to this point, God has warned you by an angel proclaiming around the world after the gospel has been presented, after he tells you that this system fails, and now this system institutes a mark that says you must take it to join in. God comes in and says, don't take it. If you do, you are damned forever 
There's no chance of salvation for you. You're no longer eligible for salvation. Uh, God is warning them because it's God's love. He says, this is the line too far. This is you've chosen your side and there's no going back. This is a scary time. This is a scary thing. You're only going to receive God's wrath from this point forward if you take this mark. And it says that his wrath here is um, without mixture. That means it's uh, not watered down. When they'd make their wine, you know, they would pour some, uh, they'd had kind of like a, a grape base, and then they would pour some water with it and dilute it, and you know, kind of make it go out, and then they'd pass it around that way. Uh, God says, uh, no, I'm not diluting this with anything. It's without mixture. I'm going to pour it out upon you. It's going to be brimstone and fire. It's going to be everything hot and hellish that you've ever thought of. It's going to be no rest for you day or night. This is not better for you to take this. This is not making your life ever. Sure, you get some, uh, make your life easier. Sure, you might get some food, but what is, what is food? You're going to be hungry the next day. You know, it's like fire cries out, more, more, more. You know, we're always hungry, we're always eating. God says, don't take this. Don't take this substitute. You know, how many people would trade their soul for what, a piece of bread? You know, to, to do something? God's saying, no, wait, it's better. You'll come to a place where I'll take care of you forever. Don't sell out for this. There's no rest for them day or night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No rest, no comfort, no ease of this, being in torment with no help. There's no morphine to put you out. There's no nurse that comes by and sedates you. There's nothing that puts you into a coma for a deep sleep. You're awake and aware of your torment and the regretful decision that you made when you took that mark, when you worshipped that beast, when you didn't listen to that angel or anybody else who had been warning you throughout all these years that come up to this point. And even God's last, last second plea of an angel who gives you the gospel, an angel who tells you the system falls, and an angel who tells you do not take the mark and you still do it, you are a hard-hearted rebel. You will live with that decision forever. And you'll be like, why did I do it? That's torment. That's self-inflicted. It's not torture. The Bible always says it's torment. It's self-inflicted. Why have I done this? Why didn't I see? Why didn't I understand? Why did I sell short? You know, it's like Esau who sells his birthright for a pot of stew. You know, you, you could have had everything. It's like that's how God sees that kind of rebellion. We traded something for worthless. Moses did not esteem that, right? What, that he would forsake Christ you know, for all the kingdom of the world? Uh, what is man's soul that we would exchange it for all the world? Nothing. What if you got all the world? You'd have it for 70 years. You're richest man in the world for 70 years. All powerful man for 70, 80 years. And you die and you go to hell for eternity. What a short-sighted trade. That's why God is trying to give us wisdom. No, think long term. Because uh, when you do all this, you have crossed a line. And God tells them, this is a global battle. We need to remember, no matter how much the world tries to confuse things, God is black and white. There's no gray. There's no middle ground with him. I heard about a guy who was asking a Christian. He said, hey, I uh, know oh, you're a Christian. He said, um, uh, I know Hitler, and I know the Satanists and murderers, you know, criminals. He goes, I understand that they go to hell. That seems just, that seems right. I understand that you Christians, you righteous folks, the ones going around building churches and feeding people and helping the homeless and the kids and the orphans. I understand that you go to heaven. That makes sense. But what about Joe Average like me? Where do I go? Uh, he didn't have much understanding, did he? Because Christ says, you're either for me or against me. You're either gathering with me or you're scattering. There's no, it's either heaven or hell. There's no middle ground. There's no purgatory. There's no go pay it for yourself. There's no, no man's land out there. No, it is, God is black and white. You're for me, you're against me. You're either gathering or scattering. You're either a sheep or a goat. You're either lost or you're found. You're either saved or you're unsaved. There's only two camps. Which one are you in? Satan's beast here on the earth cries out, worship me or be doomed. Face my wrath. That's what he's, you know. You either take my mark, worship me, or worship my image, or you will be killed. 
Worship me or be doomed. Jesus cries out, worship me or be damned forever, for eternity. Jesus even warned us earlier. He says, oh, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. You'd be afraid of the one that after you've been killed that you can be cast in hell forever. And you suffer for eternity. Fear ye him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where are we today? Where are we today? Paul says to examine ourselves daily to make sure that we're in the faith. Do you ever take time and go through again? Am I soundly saved? Am I secure? Do you ever preach the gospel to yourself? Paul says he did it every day. What's your assurance lying? Is your assurance lying that you came up to church on Sunday morning? That you listened to a Bible verse on a podcast? Or is your assurance in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Do you realize that you're a sinner? And if God sent you to hell, he'd be 100% just. He'd be 100% right. He'd be glorified for it. And the whole world would agree, yes, you were right in doing that. Do you understand that? Do you understand that you're a sinner? That you have fallen short of God's glory? And that you're a transgressor? You have crossed a line where God said, do not do it. And you have done it. You're a rebel. You're lost. And that you cried out upon God's mercy. Have you done that? Have you cried out upon God's mercy that Jesus Christ would stand in the gap for you, that he would take the punishment, he would take the blame so that he could let you go, so that he could set you free? That's what Christ did on that cross. He died in your place. He suffered. He died. He paid your fine that you would have to suffer for all eternity so that he could let you go free. Do we esteem the Savior? There should be a brokenness about it. There should be a, um, the Bible says that you strive to enter into the gate. Strive is the word agonized that we would have there's an agony about what have i done lord i violated your law i see myself as you show me i'm a lying thieving blasphemous adulterer at heart i've fallen short of your grace have mercy upon me have mercy upon me jesus save me jesus is what we cry out for there's a burden there's an agonizing there's a stress there's a oh you'd be 100 percent just in doing that there there's a weeping and there's a gnashing that comes with it if it's all just joy and happiness in the parable of the sower it says that is the Seed that falls on stony ground. It springs up for a minute with joy. It is happy about it, but then it quickly falls away. It never has any fruit. It's all bush, and it never has anything there. It's a false convert. There's some agony. There's some understanding that what you've been rescued from. You understand that guilt is upon you, and there is an appreciation for the sacrifice that has been made, and you praise him for it. Do we put God first in all things? It's a good thing to test ourselves in. And when we don't, are you at least accused by it? Does your conscience bother you? Or conscience is something that is a little alarm bell that warns us. Um, our world is changing. The birth pangs are increasing, if you haven't noticed. There's a virus in China that's spreading globally. It's on track to be the deadliest pandemic in human history. Uh, the Spanish flu in 1918, World War I, had a 2.5% death rate. Those who contracted it, 2.5% of them died. This one, uh, some China numbers that leaked yesterday <clears throat> on accident, said that they estimate this is a 17% death rate. That is astronomical compared to what the Spanish flu was. 400 million Chinese are quarantined. If you've not seen video footage of these busy Chinese cities, it's not just Wuhan anymore, it's more outside of that. 400 million, that's more than the population of the United States and about six New Yorks. 400 million are quarantined to their apartment. They're not allowed to go out and move around without special gear and apparatus that is on because they're trying to keep this from spreading. It has an incubation with no signs or symptoms and spreading. They are sealing people into their apartments. Have you seen that where they come along and they nail them into their doors and say, we hope you have enough food. They put a sign on the door that says, these people came from Wuhan. They have the flu. Do not open. They are sealing entire apartment buildings where they lock the doors and then pour cement in front of the doors. 
That's desperation when you're doing that. It's trying to keep something out. People who have tried to cross the line, they shoot them dead in the streets. These videos are online that you can go and see. So this is something that is horrible. Is it a judgment because they killed 200 million female unborn babies? With their one-child law policy? Does God let that go on forever without sending a judgment? Could that be it? Could be. I don't know. If it is, what stands for America? Where, would it come here? We killed, have killed over 60 million unborn babies since 1973, Roe versus Wade. Do you think God lets that go unanswered? Billy Graham it used to cry out. If God doesn't judge America, he owes Solomon Gomorrah an apology. Would that set the world stage back from two major world players back to the Middle East and things that are there, kind of resetting the state? Maybe. I don't know. Things are going on. Things are changing. It could be here and be here in a hurry, and it could be going about, and we wouldn't know it. Uh, swarms of bats that have showed up in Australia now. It's bad enough. Australia caught on fire last month. Now they have these swarms of bats that are so bad that it stops helicopter traffic and the things where people can't get in or out. You know, Look at the videos on that and just hear the noise of that many bats that are flying over. Locusts that are plaguing um, Kenya. A locust swarm that is going over Kenya right now is larger than Johnson County. Larger than the area of Johnson County by 15 miles. Johnson County is a big county. Just try to imagine driving from the southern to the northern, from the east to the west. It goes further west. It goes further than I-65, in case you didn't know. It goes on the other side just a little bit, you know, towards Shelby County out that way. It is a huge county when you start thinking about the time that you have to drive and spend around a, a swarm of locusts that is bigger than that whole area by 15 miles. I think Johnson County is about 20 miles at its widest at one point. You know, so 35 miles by, by something the other way. That is a large swarm of locusts to the point where the news are like, this is a biblical scale. Something is going on. They're eating everything. The noise that they make is phenomenal. Um, floods that are going on. Uh, Kentucky's going through some bad ones right now. Uh, fires, lying and deceit that goes on in our culture is a national headline every day. Either someone's lying about it or someone's telling the truth. Well, not at all. Unrest around the world. Earthquakes, volcanoes. That's just January 2020. You know, we're nine days into February and things that are going on. Our world is changing. Birth pangs are increasing. Uh, the time is, is coming upon us. You know, there's, there's things that we can look at. We can just see that it's there. Elon Musk's his neural link, he said that there's a 2.0 that's coming. He said that's awesome. This is where they'll sow the Internet into your head. You have instant access, and they have instant access to you, probably. I would say do not take it. This might be crossing the line. It's not human 2.0. It's not the next stage in evolution as it is promised, uh, as the trained humanists say. So I would say be aware of that. Church, it's time to get off the bench and get in the game. You know, things are going on around us, and we don't want to be the generation that when he comes that he finds so doing, not the ones like, I don't know, I wasn't really aware. I was busy about other things. We need to be busy about things. We need to have our eyes open. We need to see these things as they're coming. We need to make our calling and election sure. We need to bring forth fruit that is worthy of repentance. Matthew 3 tells us that. If you're saved, show it. Declare it. Proclaim it. Do you have a burden for the lost? D.L. Moody says, if you have no burden for the lost, you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. If you have a concern for the lost and dying, man, evening news is a great place to exercise Christianity. And you hear about the numbers in China, or you hear about some tragedy somewhere else, to take time and intercede and pray for these people, what's going on. When you hear a family that's lost a kid, or someone was killed by a car accident, it's a great time to just pray and intercede right then and there, interactive with the news globally from your home. It's a great place to be able to do that, let alone with the people that we interact with and we see on a day-to-day basis. We need to open up our mouths. We need to speak. We need to pass out the tracks. We need to say things. We need to invite. We need to get them out there. We need not to be quiet. We need not to be afraid. We need to be bold, bold for the cause of Christ. If you aren't sure about your salvation, 
Now's the time. Today's the day. Let's not wait any longer. Uh, we have an altar car where you can come forward and, and uh, confess and get right with Christ. If you're afraid to do that, I will warn you that Revelation says the first list of people who aren't allowed into heaven are the fearful, the ones who are afraid what someone else might think of them and what they, that they are a sinner and that they would come forward and they haven't confessed and got these things right. Don't be a part of the fearful. Jesus says, if you're afraid of me, deny me, I will deny you. Let's not be deniers, let's be believers. Let's not be quiet, let's be open, let's be, open our mouths. Uh, let's say something for the cause of Christ. The Bible here is giving warning in the midpoint of the tribulation. As we see these things drawing near, it's warning to us to no longer be silent, but to be open and to tell the world that judgment is coming. Repent and trust in Christ. Salvation is free and it's available unto you. Jesus Christ has paid it all. Jesus, trust him. So I pray that we do so.